welcome back once again to the YOY podcast. It's been a while since we left you. Uh, I hope that no one out there thinks that it's because we've worked through our issues and that we are in a healthy emotional place. And we are back. It's Tyler <laughs> and also Tyler, uh, ready to get back into all of the things that have made us into the, the bitter borderline alcoholics that we are. <laughs> Not only uh, have you missed us, but we've missed each other. It's true. Uh, because this is the first time we've been able to uh, been able to catch up in a while. It's true. Um, so it's probably going to get off track. Uh, it's probably going to get a little weird. Um, but don't worry. Uh, it'll still be depressing as hell because we have to talk about the 2001 Seattle Mariners. And I know what you're saying. I thought the 2001 Seattle Mariners were awesome. And they were in the regular season, and then uh, they got to the ALCS. Yeah, so we're not going to talk about the regular season very much, because that, no. really, that wouldn't really fit theme for what <laughs> we're doing here. Because that was, that was good. Yeah, that was, that was the highest of highs for this, for this franchise. Uh, so we're going <laughs> to instead focus on the lowest of lows, which happened in the ALCS. Yeah, I. Uh, oh, do you uh, do you remember watching any of the ALCS? I mean, that was a while ago for both of us. But. It was. It was quite a while ago. I remember. I think emotionally, I've kind of blocked out like the particulars, but I just mm-hmm. remember at the end of each game, going the ones that they lost, going, "How did yeah. we? What happened? Who? Yeah. What? Why? Don't worry. We'll 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 make you revisit that. Yeah, we will." <laughs> All over again. I th- there is actually only, and and maybe we will get to this because it in and of itself is like a some kind of sparkling unicorn, this freak of nature. Um, the, the only game that I remember from two thousand one is the is the regular season Cleveland game. Oh yeah, that uh, it, it was just was just nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, that's the game that I relive because I watched it in the hospital, <laughs> which seems like a really appropriate place. Yeah, that was that was a good forethought on your part. Be surrounded by professionals. I remember watching that game at a Red Robin, but I was sitting oh, on boy. the wrong side of the table to see the whole game. So every uh-huh. couple of minutes, I would look back over my shoulder because I saw when we walked in that it was on one of the televisions. And I was yeah. like, how is this game still on? Because when I left for Red Robin, it was 12 to nothing. Uh-huh. And then I kept turning around, and the score kept growing, but for the wrong side. And, and then Cleveland's going nuts at the end of it, and I can't even enjoy my bottomless fries. So, Wow, that says a lot about the game. Travesty on all levels. <laughs> if, if that game ruined bottomless fries for you, that is, that is unacceptable. Well, I still ate them, but I was. You were you were kind of bitter about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It was more to it was more to fill a void than to achieve any <laughs> level of happiness at that point. I feel like that is a role that bottomless fries often play. Yeah, I think that's how they came up with it. They're like, "This is going to fill some voids for some people. Let's provide let's provide that service." <laughs> um, are you? Uh... Are you partaking in any alcohol tonight? I don't remember. No, I have the mysterious day job with a 4 a.m. wake-up call. So That's right, that's right, that's right. 4 a.m. Um, so and, have... and night drinking, surprisingly. 
uh, don't go very well together. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about because I am drinking uh, some Coke. I'm having a Smith & Kearns is what it's called, and it's apparently an old lady drink, but I think it's delicious. They, it's those, Coke, those Kahlua, and cream. Those old ladies know what they're doing, man. They do. They do. You don't get to be that old without knowing what you're doing sometimes. Certainly without knowing what you're drinking. Exactly. They know all the stuff to really uh, pickle your insides <laughs> to help preserve you. That's a phrase that I wish I could use more often. Yeah. <laughs> you can use that. I'm not going to trademark it, so it's, that's, that's free use. It's, it's, still, it's still free. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm going to put my intellectual property out there uh, oh, for, for the world to use. You've always been a giver. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm like Elon you. Musk that way, I think. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. All right. That's, I, you know that's what? One I'm not going to challenge it. Many similarities. I get that a lot. People stop me on the street and, and tell me that a lot. It's 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 one of at least one things that you share in yeah. common with him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, so the 2001 Seattle Mariners uh, won 116 games. Yeah. And uh, they were fantastic in the regular season and then um, uh, made it all the way to the ALCS and crumbled. They did, so, yeah. Um, of course, we have to discuss, I don't know if I would prefer to use the term clusterfuck or dumpster fire. I'll probably just kind of interchange the two as we go on. Uh, a cluster dumpster fuck. <laughs> And you can patent that one as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think that'll be oh the subtitle God. for this episode. The 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 cluster dumpster fuck. Yeah, the cluster dumpster fuck. I don't know if we can put that on Facebook. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> uh, so so hit me with some brutal truth, man. All right. Well, we're gonna do our our stat of the podcast for this one is gonna kind of highlight how much of a high water mark this regular season was for this team. Um, and then kind of use that to illustrate how crushing their collapse was in the ALCS. So in 2001, the Mariners had four hitters finish with a batting average over 300. Uh, That's incredible. Yeah. In the 15 years since, they've only had three seasons of two players hitting over 300. In 2002, they had John Olerud and Ichiro Suzuki. In 2004... Raul Abanez and Ichiro Suzuki again. And in 2007, Jose Vidro and, hold your hats, Ichiro Suzuki. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was consistent. He was consistent. But if you take away Ichiro Suzuki's 300 hit seasons, in the 15 years since 2001, Seattle has only had five players hit over 300. That's really bad. I, don't, I, I, I was going to try to come up with something witty to say, but it, I, I can't because it's just really bad. Yeah, you got to work really hard to be that bad at hitting. So, yeah. Oh, oh man. Uh, I'm already bummed out when we just started. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been a while since we've recorded, so I forgot like how to mentally prepare myself yeah. <laughs> for these things. But, um yeah, you know, they had four hitters finish with a batting average of over 300, which is, by, by any team standard, absolutely fantastic uh, in the season. They actually only had one player hitting below 
250. Yeah. Uh, which is crazy. Um, they, uh, as people who are listening to this podcast, they probably know their Mariners history, so they already know that M's won 116 games, uh, tied for the best record in Major League Baseball history. Mm-hmm. Um, eight Mariners made the all-star team in 2001, which yep. was consequently uh, held in Safeco Field. It was. I remember the tagline for it as this team got rolling early in the season and the all-star voting started coming out and all of these Mariner players were at the top of their positions and were going to start in that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tagline became the all-star game, just another Mariner's home game. And I love it. And I remember thinking, guys, and this is a collective <laughs> guys to all of us, <laughs> We have, we have literally enjoyed zero success up to this point as a franchise. As, mm-hmm. as a fan of this franchise, we've literally enjoyed zero success. Let's not make everyone root against us right away. Yeah. Let's, try and, let's try and milk this feel-good story. Because this was, this was a team that was the definition of a team. It was the sum of its parts because there's not a superstar on this team. No, no, and, and, and we'll, you know, get into it a little bit later, but it, it, they really kind of baffled people um, in how good they were despite who they were not. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, it's, it's not meant to sound as cryptic and as cool as I think I explained it there, but, you know, after losing so many good players, I think a lot of people just said, well, this team is just kind of made up of... No names, really, kind of except for Edgar Martinez. Yeah, this was the rebuilding team because, like, like you said, they they had just lost their three best players, arguably in franchise history, the previous in the last three years. Yeah. Uh, they had uh, Randy Johnson uh, refusing to to sign a contract extension, so he was traded in 1998. You had mm-hmm. Ken Griffey go to Cincinnati the year after that, and then you had Alex Rodriguez. Uh, may he burn forever lie to me as a young, impressionable man, <laughs> young man, and sign that ridiculous deal in Texas. And so you lost these three great players, and that A-Rod team had just been to the ALCS, that was, and, they, and that, was, mm-hmm. to that point, was the high-water mark for the franchise. And so now you're looking at this team, no, no Randy Johnson, no Ken Griffey mm. Jr., no nope. Alex Rodriguez, we signed some Japanese player named Ichiro. Never heard of him. During spring training, Lou Pinella didn't even know if he was going to start him. So nobody knew what to expect from this team. You had a bunch of cast-offs. You had, uh, they re-signed Brett Boone, who had been mediocre for this team for a stretch of years, mm-hmm. but they brought him back. Uh, you had Mike Cameron trying to replace Ken Griffey Jr., uh, mm-hmm. which nobody thought was going to work out very well you had <laughs> you had all these all these players that nobody was like that's a guy you can build a franchise around but all of them did what they needed to do well to the point where they just kept winning games like it's baffling and then you have jamie moyer who's throwing 70 miles an hour winning hey, 20 hey, games hey 70 miles an hour like on a good day yeah that was when he really really fell into those pitches Wind at his back. So, so what was um, you? You, you kind of went through it a little briefly, but uh, what was that formidable Mariners starting lineup? Well, get ready to hear some names. <laughs> I, I, I'm always ready. 
So you have first base, you have John Olerud, who's an older player. You have Brett Boone, who's a retread. You have David Bell at third base. Uh, Dan Wilson's catching. Mike Cameron in center. Edgar Martinez is DHing. In left field, you have the only player who failed to hit over 250 that season, Al Martin. So there's a trivia answer for you. <laughs> you have Ichiro in right, and then you have Carlos Guillen playing short. Major League Baseball opens up the all-star voting like after the third day of the season. So yeah. at the outset yeah. of that, none of these guys were getting any votes. I guarantee you. I mean, Mike Cameron's mom probably didn't vote for Mike Cameron right out of the gate. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and yet between them, uh, like we said, they had four players hit over 300. They only had one player hit under 250. Uh, they had four players hit over 20 home runs. Four players hit over 95 RBIs, and three hit over 110 RBIs. Yeah. Uh, and two players still 30 or more bags. I, they, it was like a perfect storm of everyone peaking at the same time. And that's something that I feel like that you and I have kind of talked about before is the Seattle Mariners never seem to be able to grab players at the peak of their careers. Mm-hmm. They're either bringing them on before they peak or after, or not developing them until they leave somewhere else. Um, and the, the 2001, I th- really 2000 through 2002, 2003, um, those are those years where they actually did have some players that were playing at the, the, the peak of their careers kind of all at the same time. Yeah, this, was, this is like the exception to the rule for Mariners teams. Everybody came in and played their best baseball this season. Mm-hmm. They had basically no expectations on them, and they all came through with just career years. I mean, you look at Brett Boone, who is a journeyman second baseman, all of a sudden hits 331 with 37 home runs and 141 RBI. Like, yeah. Just came out of nowhere. Now, in hindsight... We probably know what might have helped that. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I think he had talked to Carlos Silva about getting into that yoga class. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was hot yoga, yeah, right? hot yoga. Hot yoga did. It really limbered him up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Helped the, helped the wood swell. Really Yikes. Increase that sweet spot. Yikes. Yikes. Calm down. Of his bat, what do you? Th- oh, what are you thinking? Of? Uh, I, I don't know. I, God. Huh. Well, with that, man, you got me all flustered. That image <laughs> in your mind. Do you want to hear something else that's kind of nutty? Yes. Uh, there was no Mariners pitcher with double-digit losses that year. That's insane. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. No Mariners pitcher starting or relief with double-digit losses, and they had five pitchers with double-digit wins, four pitchers with 15 or more wins, and a 20-game winner in Jamie Moyer. Mm -hmm. Uh, They only had one starter with an ERA over five. Uh, That was Brett Tomko. He actually started the fewest games out of anybody. Um, but at, 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 
I mean, and these these pitchers are not people that we think about as being aces, uh, really kind of except for two. Freddy Garcia, the chief, mm-hmm. uh, went 18 and 6, uh, 305 ERA uh, in 238 innings. Um, and Jamie Moyer, in 209 innings, went 20 and 6 with a 343 ERA. Yeah, but um, the fact yeah. that Jamie Moyer has ever been like an ace with the stuff that he has is pretty. It's pretty mind-boggling. <laughs> it, ace, ace doesn't it does has nothing to do with the speed of your pitches, man. Well, clearly, clearly, if we're applying it in this case, the man threw batting practice speed stuff with filthy, disgusting magic on it mm-hmm. because nobody could hit him. He just kept winning mm-hmm. games. Yeah, it threw like camo painted baseballs. Yeah. Probably. I'm, I'm not a scientist, so I don't, I, you know, I don't want to speak to that, but I, I feel like that's probably it. Yeah. Yeah, either, he either painted the ball's camo in his hand during his very long wind-up, <laughs> or he was a wizard. You know, both are equally believable. Yeah, maybe he was a wizard who loved to paint. <laughs> the, I mean... You know, Bob Ross yeah. was so. Um, so to so you know to to round out the formidable uh, Mariners pitching staff. Stop me when you hear um, another player that's going to go down in the annals of uh, baseball history. You have one Mister Aaron Seeley going uh, fifteen and five with the three six ERA. Mister Paul Abbott going seventeen and four with a four point two five ERA. And Mister John Halama. Mm-hmm. Going ten and seven with a four seven three ERA. I appreciate that you pronounced it properly. So often, <laughs> so often people shortchange that hard H. <laughs> I I had the pronunciation guide and it actually says you know hold on to it for a couple seconds. Yeah. It's, a, it's a hard H. Yeah. Hard. And uh, <laughs> and Joel Pinheiro mm-hmm. uh, going six and two with a. Uh, 203 ERA. Joel and Brett Tomko, um, kind of the supplemental pitchers, mm-hmm. um, they only started 28 games between the two of them. Um, or, sorry, started 15 games, appeared in 28 between the two. Mm-hmm. This is like peak Joel Pinheiro time when he is <laughs> the future of this, uh, this Seattle rotation. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that another time because. Man, Man, that guy. <laughs> but in 2001, this, he, was, he was great. He had a 203 ERA, uh, limited starts, but he was like, everybody was just on point. And mm-hmm. everybody was on the same page. Everybody was playing to their potential, which is not something you get to say about a Seattle Mariners team at any point, except for, except for this tiny, tiny window of time. <laughs> this beautiful, beautiful window of time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it, it wasn't just the starting pitching or the lineup that was on point. Um, it, the relief pitching was also formidable mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah, you, you have uh, Kazuhiro Sasaki 
closing out games. He's kind of an unknown quantity, but he comes in and ends up saving 45 games that season and 52 opportunities. So it's the Mariners' record yes, for that would hold for a long time. Yes. Well, yeah, because if you look at the teams that come after this. <laughs> they're not winning enough games. They're, they're barely winning 45. Yeah, there aren't 45 save opportunities to be had. <laughs> but you have Kaz Sasaki having a great season, saves 45 of 52. He does a couple of times he's a little shaky. But overall, very strong, uh, 3-2-4 ERA. And he is led, they lead into the ninth to Kaz with uh, Jeff Nelson and Arthur Rhodes, who have career years and are unhittable. Mm-hmm. Arthur Rhodes goes, throws a 172 ERA, 83 strikeouts, and 68 innings pitched. Jeff Nelson, a 276 ERA, 88 strikeouts, and 65 innings pitched. And so you have this trio of relievers that during the regular season is unhittable. So the Mariners yeah. get any kind of lead into the seventh, and it's, it's over. It's done which you cannot yeah. say about a Mariners team very often. I'm going to reiterate, this team broke every stereotype of the <laughs> Seattle Mariners. Yeah. Everything, everything that traditionally the Mariners do to screw things up, this team did not do. They just they went the other direction with it. And it turned out pretty well for them. 116 wins. They showed how, how beautiful life could be when you have a uh, when you have a baseball team that's functioning to its potential, yeah. Um, and these are not like guys that people thought were in their prime. Still, these are guys that were veterans that they kind of brought in to be a steadying presence, not expecting them, I think, to be as dominant and as steady as they were all season long. Mm-hmm. But they stepped in and they were just pillars for that for that bullpen. And so you had basically three guys handle everything that season. And then you had a couple guys handle long relief. But overall, it was like those three guys. You get, you get your pitchers to pitch you six, six innings. That's all you need from them. And then you turn it over to Nelson in the seventh, Rhodes in the eighth, Sasaki in the ninth, and you go home with a win. That seems so simple. Yeah. The formula was on point. And then obvi- it obviously made them uncomfortable. Uh, there were some side effects that they apparently didn't like uh such as <laughs> expectations uh mm. a feeling of happiness and accomplishment and yeah. so they've since scrapped that formula and uh went to something completely different and yet uh and yet much more familiar oh yeah for fans yeah it's you know while while they don't win as much you get that familiar homey feeling mm-hmm. with it mm-hmm. so at least mm-hmm. there's that all, all of this to say that it's it's leading up to a very important postseason. Um, the the wins, the performance of a relatively unknown starting lineup, a surprising um, pitching rotation, and an outstanding and record setting. Uh, relief pitching unit. So to put it in 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 context, uh, you're talking about a team that did not lose more than nine games in any month of the season. 
you're talking about a team that had 42 series wins out of 52 series wins. They only lost 10 series mm-hmm. all year, which included 15 sweeps. They had only six series losses um, total. Uh, so of those ones that they didn't win, they tied four. Mm-hmm. And they did not lose more than two games in a row until after uh, clinching the division in September. Let me, let me repeat that again. They didn't lose more than two games in a row. That would be three and up for those mathematically challenged listeners until after clinching the division in September. So May, June, July, August... Four straight months, the Mariners don't lose three games or more. Yeah, basically that's, they go. That's insane. They basically go the entire season without a legitimate losing streak. And this is a team that has traditionally and you know recently built their entire seasons around overcoming <laughs> losing streaks. Yeah, uh, I think the Mariners have already had three three game losing streaks. Or more this season. Yeah. Um, now, granted, we're talking about the 2016 Mariners. They're actually, uh, they've been doing pretty well this year. Mm-hmm. They are performing above average, yeah. I would say. So I don't want to knock them too hard. But that's, you know, that's to put that in context. Yeah. We feel by Mariners standards that the 2016 season is going pretty well. And they've already done Something that the two thousand Mariners, the two thousand one Mariners, didn't do until September. They've done it three times already. Yeah, like that's just—it's just preposterous how good this team was, <laughs> and, and and consistent and consistent. So that it, it it all rolls into consistency. They're not losing a lot of games in a row. Um, the high averages, the win totals, all of that kind of—it's it, a symptom, if you will, of consistency. So. They uh, they make it to the postseason, and um, this is without again without Alex Rodriguez, Griffey, or Randy Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, they are going to face the uh, Cleveland Indians in the ALDS, the team that beat them in the game that we should not speak of. Mm-hmm. And uh, meanwhile, um, the New York Yankees are going to play the Oakland Athletics, uh, who got the wild card that year. Um, uh, an open team that still that won over a hundred games. And yeah, was, two teams in the AL West that year won over a hundred games. Yeah, and Oakland was not even close to Seattle when they hit 116 wins. When they clinched the division in September with an excellent Oakland team trailing them, like you felt like this was a team of like destiny. This is this was it. This was our year. We're finally going to get there. This mm-hmm. the AL playoffs are a formality. Yes, yes, and and it begs the question: Can you be the best team in history if you don't win a World Series? Do you have to win a pennant in order to be able to say that you're the best team in history, or are you able to put an asterisk on it somehow? To say that, well, really, you're just talking about the best team in the regular season, or do you? I mean, the the 2001 Seattle Mariners are not really talked about as one of the best teams in history. I think because of the fact that they lost in the 2001 ALCS. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because you look at it, there's always the argument that the team that wins the championship is the best team that season, which is mm-hmm. a valid argument because that's, that's why they have playoffs and that's why they have the big trophy. So if the Seattle Mariners ended up not being the best team of the 2001 season, if, the, if they didn't even end up being the best team in the American League that season, how can they then stack up as one of the best teams in history? Agreed. The best teams close out and win championships. Yep. Yep. I, I, I mean, I think that's kind of the general consensus. And we'll, we'll, we'll read some quotes that I think kind of point that out, which is that because they did not, specifically because they did not even make it to the World Series, um, they get almost consciously swept under the rug. We want to talk about them, but we don't because we feel like, I feel like baseball analysts and historians have started to, much like Mariner fans have, talk about the 2001 team as a fluke. Yeah, it was... Because of the postseason loss and the lack of success before, but especially after. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, their inability to sustain the success and winning 116 games is really hard to do. Let's like nobody has come within 11 games of that since 2001. Repeating 116 wins is not what I think fans were expecting because that was like this was this was lightning in the bottle. And I think I think if you like take it for what it was, like that was I think that's a better term for it than fluke. Uh, now history remembers it differently, obviously, because they didn't go to the World Series, because they didn't win at all. Then they kind of get brushed off as a fluke. You're right, but it, like going through it and watching this team, this was like lightning in a bottle. Everybody coming together, everybody doing what they could do. It deserves it deserves to be mentioned up there, but because of the way they, oh, for sure. they flamed out, then it's a harder it's a harder case to make. And boy, did they flame yes. out! In the 2000 postseason, um, now we're we're kind of speaking about this um, as if it happened in a in a vacuum. But um, this was the second year in a row that the Mariners are in the postseason uh, with almost the exact same group of guys, um, and by guys I mean other teams. And in the 2000 season, the Mariners made it again to the ALCS. They made it in back-to-back years, which, when you think about it in the context of the Seattle Mariners, is also kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, and they faced the Yankees, and they and they lost uh, in six games. They lost four to two. So you're hoping for a couple things. I think I think if you're a Mariners fan, um, you expect. To play in the ACL, the, the the ALCS, you expect to beat the Yankees. It could be a, a close series, uh, and I think you hope um, and feel good about winning the World Series. Yeah, you like your chances because, like I was saying, you watch this team hit that 116 win mark, and you're like, "This is a team of destiny. This is this mm-hmm. is it. This is the year." Yeah, but then you get into the playoffs and you get really nervous when Cleveland goes up two one, with that absolute drubbing in Game Three, <laughs> and and all of a sudden there's that kind of familiar Mariners doubt that starts to creep back into your mind, and it 
and it really stuck. And there was this weird malaise that happened in in the postseason. You know, they they Cleveland already knew how to beat the Mariners. They'd done it a couple times before in the regular season. The the Indians went up two to one, like you said, uh, but the Mariners came back to win the next two games. Meanwhile, the Yankees were down two to zero to Oakland, came back to win the next three, and it sets it up for this this story that I, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but I I do think there is a little bit of kind of a, a manufacturing of a very specific storyline, which is how can you get around it? New York has been through something absolutely horrific, mm-hmm. um, and we are in no way going to diminish that on this podcast. No. But they now kind of have taken on this role of America's team, and probably rightfully so. Yeah. I, I don't want to take anything away from them, but for the first time... Uh, as, a, as a Mariners fan, you get to watch your team be the best team in baseball and you kind of can't even enjoy it because they are going against these scrappy underdog Yankees. Of course, the Yankees aren't a scrappy underdog. They've been to the postseason like six years in a row. And this is, but they've already been to three straight World Series at this point. Yeah. Like they are, they are on their way to a fourth straight World Series. There's nothing scrappy or underdoggy about them. In the vacuum of just watching Mariners, this Mariners team, from a Seattle standpoint, you were like, this team's a team of destiny. But then when mm-hmm. you look at the larger scope of baseball that year, uh, after what happened in New York, uh, the way that the Yankees kind of rallied, um, making the postseason, and then uh, coming back against, a, like I said, a very good Oakland team, through in winning three straight, uh, including that ridiculous Derek Jeter play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and suddenly, like, Seattle fans are like, yeah, this is our team of destiny. And then you look over at the national landscape and, oh, wait, no, the Yankees are the team of destiny now. They're the team of destiny, and they're the team that I think most people outside of, like, the three states in the Pacific Northwest, they're the team that people want to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, any other time in history, Mariners have the have the backswell of support and maybe feel that energy and and maybe that helps them or not. Uh, this year was just it just didn't happen because the larger scope of of things were just were worked in a way to give that that sentimentality, that feeling of wanting to see them succeed to the Yankees. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just it's both the best timing uh, in the regular season and the worst timing uh, in the postseason. And you know, th- this is the definition of a first world problem. We're sitting here having a podcast about how frustrated we are that the Mariners <laughs> didn't make it to the World Series. Um, so that's not obviously not to take away anything. Um, but it is very easy to see from a from a Mariners fan perspective how that trips you up and how it can kind of get into your head already that like maybe this this isn't actually meant to happen the way that we hoped it would um, and that you're about to uh, <laughs> uh, you're you're about to kind of have a self-fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways yeah 
But like this team, this team wanted the Yankees because they had lost to them in 2000. Uh, Lou Pinello, looking back on it, he said like we wanted to play the Yankees, we wanted to beat the best, and as we go through these games, they just they weren't even close. No, 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 no. So the series starts out at in Seattle at Safeco. You have Andy Pettit going up against Aaron Seeley, and Seeley pitches well, uh, gives up three runs. Uh, Pettit is just on point. He's the Mariners can't hit him at all. They only the team only manages four hits. This is the best offense in baseball this season. Manage just four hits, and they never lead in this game. They're down. Yeah. They're down three nothing in the fourth, and that's it. They they don't get any closer than that. Yeah. Well, we will um, kind of I think go through this a little bit more in depth, but the offense sputtering is going to be a real. <laughs> A real trend, so buckle up, yeah. folks. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah it, game one was just Andy Pettit pitching uh, an absolute gem. Uh, the Mariners' offense, um, I'm trying to think of a better term than shitting the bed, uh, but it, it feels a little bit like it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, game two was at Seattle again. Mariners had home field advantage. I uh, felt good about having home field advantage. Uh, throughout the playoffs, but it didn't necessarily work out to their advantage. But uh, they lost three to two in, the, in that game. So the first two games, they're only putting up uh, only put up four runs. Mike Messina got the win. Uh, Freddie Garcia got the loss. Mariners never led in this game either. So in the first two games, they've never led, and uh, they only had one inning in which they scored, and that was the fourth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both teams only scored in one inning. It just so happened that New York was better in their inning than Seattle was in, in their inning. And the, these first two games, like you look at the box scores, and it's it looks close. But I remember going through those games, and you're like, we just we didn't we didn't have a shot at that. That's like they no. they weren't close. They weren't pushing. You didn't fee- have that feeling like you had all season long that this team was going to win this game either of those mm-hmm. first two games. So then you come into this ALCS with like a, a weird energy and then you drop the first two games at home. Not ideal. No, and and drop the first two games at home in a rather um uh not even like losing these games close in an exciting fashion. They were really boring games. Yeah. Not a lot of things happening, not a lot of offense, not a lot of close plays, uh, and and really no drama. It was just, and and that that almost made it worse in that they were just, they were just dull. Mm-hmm. It was it was just the Mariners underwhelming and New York being okay. Yeah, and that it wasn't the baseball we were hoping for. No, because Seattle all season had been able to manufacture offense. They had been able to manufacture. If, the, if one thing wasn't working, they could go to plan B. Plan B wasn't working, plan C. And just everything with, just fell flat. Yeah. So Lou, Lou Pinella, after game two, had to do some... Uh, <laughs> he had to do some damage control. Lou Pinella, not flat, <laughs> came out firing. He said... Uh, I, like, I, I imagine him giving this quote while also kicking a base around. Mm-hmm. And like throwing his hat just because that's kind of how I always see him. 
Um, before you guys start asking questions, let me start by saying we are going back here, meaning Seattle, for game six. I told the people out there the same thing. I guarantee you we will be back here for game six. Okay. Sweet Lou, he's going right. out well, on the limb. He's, he's not guaranteeing a series win, so that's good. He's really tempering expectations. Uh, well, yeah, when you're, down, when you're down two games to none with now three games in the Bronx, I think, I think just telling people we'll be back for game six, don't worry, is uh, probably as much as fans could want or you could really hope for mm-hmm. at this point. Because uh, with the way that they've mm-hmm. been just been flat, like just getting two at game six would be uh, a moral victory for this team. And, you know, in the short term, that that fire and that passion and that confidence works. Seattle goes into New York in game three and for the first four innings does nothing and then just explodes, end up winning 14-3. to three. They had 15 hits. They scored uh, at least one run in each of the last five innings, uh, including seven runs in the sixth. They really blew it open. Uh, Jamie Moyer gets the win after giving up just two runs in the first so, like, you had that feeling after the first inning that, oh, woof, oh, no, we're going to go this again. <laughs> we get down early, and then we're just going to watch these guys hit it at, at fielders all day. But then they break through in the fifth, they really break through in the sixth, and they just pour it on and pour it on and pour it on. And you got the feeling like this was the team that we'd watched all season. They, they found it. They figured it out. And not you, the case. Not the case. Pay pay close attention to Game Three because I, I'm going to make a I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that the ALCS is a great uh, kind of microcosm for Mariners history as a whole, and to say that Game Three at New York represents the the kind of brief period the 2000 2001 2002 seasons games. One, two, four, and five, on the other hand, kind of represent the rest of the Mariners' seasons. Um, game four is at New York. It's uh, a little bit more exciting of a game, even though it's also low scoring. This one actually had a little bit more tension to it. Uh, Mariano Rivera uh, wound up getting the win because of just... Uh, the the worst kind of defeat that you can think of for how good the Mariners pitching and especially the Mariners uh, relief pitching had been. Um, but you had Roger Clemens going up against Paul Abbott, which was actually a kind of mirror image of a great pitcher's duel that had happened in the 2000 ALCS that the Yankees also won. Um, but neither Clemens nor Abbott wound up allowing a run, uh, and neither of the teams actually scored uh, until the 8th. So Seattle came up, and uh, in the top of the eighth, they scored a run. Yeah, but, so and Brett, then, yeah, Brett Boone hits a solo home run. They go up one nothing. Yeah, and so then you have that feeling like, great, now we turn it over to the bullpen. And the bullpen is solid, and they trot out Arthur Rhodes like they've done all year, and it's worked all year. And I forget what happened. Oh, uh, Bernie Williams happened. Old, <sighs> old man Bernie Williams. So he hits a solo home run in the bottom of the eighth to immediately take away all those good feelings you had watching Brett Boone yeah. hit the home run in the top of the eighth. So now you're tied 1-1 going into the ninth. 
Seattle can't put anything on on the board against Mariano Rivera because he's Mariano Rivera in the playoffs. Yeah, and and that that's its own buzzsaw. Yeah. And and you think you know what? It's okay because right now we have the probably the best closer in baseball. It certainly has been throughout the regular season. So you bring out Kazuhiro Sasaki, um, and then he uh, uh, he gives up a two run walk off home run to Alfonso Soriano. Do you remember when Alfonso Soriano used to play baseball? Yeah, seems like a long time ago. It sure does. <laughs> and and just like that, in in two innings, what had been the best bullpen in baseball gives up three runs on two home runs to erase all of the good work done by the starting pitching mm-hmm. and the struggles that the Mariners hitting have, have had. And... Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And so then you you had all that momentum from game three going into game four. And even as this pitcher's duel was happening, you still felt that momentum. And then Brett Boone hits the home run. You're like, yes, this is the momentum. We, we, we keep this going. And then boom, boom, boom. New York wins. Seattle is now in a hole. And game five happens. And Seattle cannot recover from that. No, I think they were just kind of reeling. I think Game 5 is a really good example of what happens when you let, uh, you let the game get away from you. Yeah, when you, when you have that deflating loss, then you come out and you just get trounced 12-3 in a, in a, game, in a series-clinching game that you have to win to, go, to get the series back to Seattle. And you come out and you just... Not even not it's not even competitive. Uh, Aaron Seeley ends up losing the game. Andy Pettit throws another great game. The worst part about this one is that the Mariners get put themselves into a huge hole in the third when New York scores four unearned runs on an error by David Bell, mm-hmm. and then they scored two more home runs in the sixth and the eighth to just pile it on and just put this one out of reach. So you you had all that momentum in Game Three. You had the deflating loss in Game Four, and then just an anticlimactic turd of a game <laughs> to cap off what was supposed to be the greatest season in Seattle sports history. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, God, it's. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say. It's, it's, it's so disappointing. Um, except for Game Three, uh, which you can say is really after this. I mean, it's, it's honestly an anomaly. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mariners averaged just two runs a game in the ALCS. Aside from Game Three, the most runs they scored in a game was three. That was Game Five. They. Uh, only they hit they got four hits in game one six in game two just two in game four and then nine in game five and i mean you can say that the pitching staff uh is the reason why seattle lost the series um i think you can certainly say that about game four but honestly i think what really let the team down was the hitting 
this this team that had come together, you had again four hitters hitting over three hundred, no one hitting below uh, two forty. Um, you know, four people with over a hundred RBIs or uh, ninety five RBIs. And then all of a sudden they get to the ALCS and there's a complete power outage. Yeah. It was like, so during the regular season, everybody came together and everybody played up to their full potential. That's how they won 116 games. Mm-hmm. Every day, everybody came in and contributed positively. Now, that doesn't happen for, the, for most teams like every day like it was happening for Seattle. Some days, mm-hmm. some guys are going to be off, other guys are going to be on, and you kind of hope that it balances out and you get those wins. Uh, mm-hmm. In 2001, the Mariners were all on in the, off, in the regular season, and then the ALCS, they were all off. Yeah. So everybody was on the same it, cycle. It just, <laughs> it, just, it just was completely opposite yeah. of... Yeah, they needed to get that before. negative cycle out of their systems prior to being in an elimination playoff game. To tell you what a a crazy drop off this was, the Mariners had averaged five point seven runs per game during the regular season. That's first in the American League, and then they averaged two in every game except the third. Yeah, which I'm, which I, again I'm not counting because I consider it a complete anomaly. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that one they got on a positive roll, and then the Yankees were like, okay, let's pull back. We still have a cushion. Let's let's roll out in Game Four with with Roger Clemens and keep keep our top shelf relievers fresh and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Let's serve up, let's serve up the meat to them in this game. <laughs> let's get them all tired out from swinging the swinging so hard and then we'll we'll finish this out in four and five don't worry about it i think that also speaks to the experience of the yankees having success knowing kind of when to pick their spots yes and the mariners going all out all the time and i think that kind of also contributed to this a little bit because you look at the they were like they were chasing this record this regular season wins record they were chasing it they had got oh, they sure. had their starters in probably a lot later than than most teams would after they had clenched. Like they were trying to win these games, and so you think about it, and could that have been a factor? Could this team have just gotten gassed from from chasing that record? You know, we saw it uh, in the NBA playoffs this year with Golden State. They chased the regular season record, and then they got pushed to the brink of elimination uh, in the playoffs by Oklahoma City. Um, to be fair, <laughs> Oklahoma uh, or uh, Golden State did manage to still make it to the NBA Finals. They did. Yeah, they figured it out. <laughs> so that is where the similarities um, end between the 2001 Mariners and this year's Golden State team. But when they were down 3-1 in the conference finals, in the Western Conference Finals, they were in danger of being attached to this team. Like they were, yes. there was talk. As soon as they went down three one, they go, "Is Golden State the best team that's never going to make it to a championship?" Mm-hmm. Like the two thousand and one Mariners, which is basically the only time this team gets talked about when really good regular <laughs> season teams are on the brink of not making it to the championship. Yeah. So uh, we'll talk about the aftermath and and a little bit about kind of. 
what are the, some of the contributing factors? We we talked about it a little bit, but you know it was really just kind of business as usual after the 2001 ALCS. The Yankees went on to their fourth straight World Series. The Mariners haven't been to the postseason since 2001. And, and we talked about a little bit in terms of the runs per game, but just to kind of give some comparisons as to the craziness that was the drop-off in production of the ALCS. The batting average for the Mariners during the regular season as a team, as a whole, is 288, which is crazy for a team batting average. Mm-hmm. In the ALCS, it's a much more Mariners-friendly average of 211. Yeah, that feels more familiar. <laughs> The on-base uh, plus slugging percentage in the regular season was 805, which is also nutty, mm-hmm. and drops 0.2 points to 605 in the ALCS, which is a huge drop-off. Yeah. Um, still not bad in Mariner standards, but a huge drop-off um, when comparing what really is a, is a difference of those five games in between the regular season and when they start to, to face the Yankees. Yeah. The bullpen, which had been fantastic uh, all year um, wound up giving up uh, 12 earned runs in just 14 innings, uh, including that Kazuhiro Sasaki blown save. And uh, the Mariners ERA in the regular season went from 3.5 to 4.3. Um, so it, it all kind of collapsed yeah. at the same time. It was a, it was a collective fart noise from the entire <laughs> the entire group. But you look at like what they went through in the division series. They had the scrap against Cleveland and you could kind of tell that like the cracks were starting to show in this team unfortunately as they as they were playing Cleveland cuz so they go they get down 2-1 after they got just destroyed 17 to 2 in game 3. And so at that point there are serious doubts that this team is going to one, make it to the ALCS, two, mm-hmm. win the World Series. So that's the first right. time that like the, those feelings of doubt really start creeping in. So all year, Mariners fans are waiting for that other shoe to drop on the success, and then boom, game three of the ALDS happens. You're like, oh, well, this is it. But they do, yeah. they do work through that, uh, but they still have serious problems moving forward, which end up becoming glaringly obvious in the ALCS. Uh, you have... Carlos Guillen, who's been a mainstay in the lineup, he, of course, contracts tuberculosis like he's in Tombstone. (laughs) This is where it really starts to feel like we are talking about that goddamn gypsy woman again. Yeah, because the, the the things that kind of happened in between the ALDS and the ALCS set Seattle up uh, in a bad way, and Carlos Guillen contracting a <laughs> a a disease known for its prevalence in rural Russia is is one of those weird things. Yeah, who gets tuberculosis? <laughs> Carlos Guillen. Maybe, maybe, uh, probably, actually, very good likelihood that Franklin Gutierrez at some point will, yeah, will get tuberculosis, yeah, or will have it. <laughs> but you feel like professional athletes who live in a highly controlled environment, who are hyper vigilant about what goes into their bodies, for the most part, 
would be able to avoid tuberculosis. Uh-huh. But he yep, didn't. Tuberculosis, the dream crusher. Yeah. Yeah. And then there are, like, rumors and there's, like, this fear that he is then infecting the rest of the clubhouse with this old-timey disease mm-hmm. that causes you to hack up blood as your lungs destroy themselves. Yeah, I've seen Moulin Rouge. Yeah, I know what happens. Exactly. So he, he then spreads this around the clubhouse. So he is not available for the ALDS at all. And he no. only plays sparingly in the ALCS. But, Which is actually still pretty impressive because if you have tuberculosis, you, I mean, really, you should be laying on the couch, uh, you know, binge-watching Breaking Bad. Yeah. Of, you know, if, if you're going to be doing anything. I feel like he probably should have. Because <laughs> he, was, he was largely ineffective. And, I mean, once you've, once you've contracted tuberculosis and then spread it to the rest of the clubhouse, uh, you've done enough. <laughs> I think at that point, your work is done. I think you mean the gypsy woman's work yeah. is done. Well, the gypsy woman's work is never done. I want to know what they did that year to piss her off because it seems like it's it's like the one thing every year that's that's kind of a trigger for her. I don't know. Maybe it was the hubris of that uh, of the whole All Star Game thing. Just rubbed her the wrong way. That very well could be. She was like, "Hey, that, hey, that very well could be." Act like you've been there before, guys. And we were all like, "We haven't, though. We're so," and we all went crazy. There's a very high likelihood that she's just not a Cal Ripken Jr. fan, mm. and uh, it feels like that home run was rigged. Could have been. She does. She, she wanted, like she wanted to protect rigged. the sanctity <laughs> of the All Star game. All-Star game. <laughs> she's like, hey, this means something now. Uh, how dare how you? How dare you? <laughs> so, so you have Carlos Guillen coughing up blood. Uh, Edgar Martinez pulls his groin against the Indians and ended up being wildly ineffective in the ALCS. You saw it like time and again. He comes up in so many big spots where you mm-hmm. expect Edgar to get a hit, to drive in a run, to continue to keep an inning going. And yes. it seems like every time he comes up in those spots, he doesn't do anything with it. And that's so yeah. out of character for him. And you have to think that that injury really was affecting him and, and the, his ability to, to make plays. Uh, so you have, you have those two key pieces of the season not being ineffective in the ALCS. And all of, that, and all of that playoff experience of the Yankees really paying off. Mm-hmm. You, had, you had guys who knew how to step up in those big situations, and it didn't seem like the Mariners had that. Like the whole the whole identity of this team was that they didn't have that one superstar that everybody rallied around, uh, but in this series, it really felt like everybody was looking around for someone to step up and do something. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, we talk about Andy Pettit and Mike Messina pitching uh, two great games. Really, except for Game Three, the starting pitching for the Yankees was. Incredible. Yeah, they were. Andy Pettit wound up getting the MVP of the series. Yeah. Uh, he won two games. Uh, Mike Mussina pitched a great game, too. And then, as we talked about earlier, Roger Clemens doesn't allow a run. Yeah. 
in in game four. Yeah, the only reason um, that nobody talks about his performance is because he didn't get the win, but that's only because Paul Abbott on the other side was pitching just as well. Yeah, which is a weird sentence. Yeah, when you think of <laughs> when you think of pitcher to go toe to toe with Roger Clemens, Paul Abbott is not the first guy that comes to mind. No, it's really it's really not, and and and. So you have the injuries. Um, you you definitely have a experience gap. You have not only the kind of emotional wear and tear of having to come from behind against Cleveland after I think genuinely genuinely expecting that series to be over way quicker than it than it was, including uh, having to use uh, Freddie Garcia in game five mm-hmm. um whereas if they had won earlier they probably would have been able to rest him and yeah they would have been able the, to set up, start the yankee series off uh the way exactly. that they wanted it to be um instead of kind of having to uh, adjust because they had to go uh five games against the indians yeah yeah and 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 it was a a kind of a sum of, of a bunch of small things um, and kind of one big thing in, um, you know, the, the, everything that happened in, in New York that year, um, kind of combining to get in the headspace of uh, the Mariners. And uh, so, you know, the Yankees won and uh, wound up losing the World Series to uh, a small team from Arizona, the Arizona Diamondbacks, and uh, who won the the MVP of the who's MVP of the World Series? Uh, former Montreal Expo, Randy Johnson. Randy, that sounds so familiar. So he was a Montreal Expo. He was, yeah. For, he, then he had a stint in uh, in Seattle for a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and then refused to to stay with the team because he didn't think they were going to win anything. Yeah. So yeah. So Arizona yeah. goes on to win uh, a World Series title after waiting an excruciating four years as a franchise. So that's that's a long yeah, time. Yeah, it was a bad time. You know? I mean, the franchise, if it were like a child, would have been ready to start kindergarten in like two years. So <laughs> it's oh man. God damn it, Arizona. Yeah. Well, that probably explains it. That's that's the Gypsy Woman's team. That is true. So I'm guessing I'm guessing this was a favor <laughs> she did for Randy Johnson. <laughs> Randy saw the success that Seattle was having and she's like and he went to her and he was like, "Hey, the Diamondbacks need you to give Carlos Guillen tuberculosis." Mm-hmm. And she was like, "You know what? I love Arizona." I'm comfortable here in Scottsdale. The heat is dry. Um, I like it. It's a dry heat. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, we'll do it. Let's let's uh, let's get this tuberculosis up and running. Yeah, are you sure you don't want to do like a disease from this century or no tuberculosis? <laughs> that's the one. That's that's your. All right. Customers, I, I, customers I, always right. Uh, so uh, we have a we have a we have a couple more uh, uh, quotes that I think kind of sum up the um, the weird feeling that a lot of people have about about the two thousand one Mariners, it, it, where it, we're in in the same breath. You kind of have to say, "Wow, this team was really good." Maybe this team wasn't that good. 
and it's a weird thing to say and it's a weird thing to feel. <coughs> and that's kind of why we decided to, to dedicate it in, an episode to the, uh, what was it? The uh, cluster dumpster fuck? Yeah, the cluster dumpster fuck that was the 2001 <laughs> ALCS. ALCS. Yeah, like you felt like this series exposed the team that everyone thought this lineup was going to be all season long. Yes. Uh, Brett Boone, poor Brett Boone. Um, I've heard that certain certain things may cause you to be more emotional. Yeah, he's got all kinds of things going through his system. All kinds of things going through his system. Uh, blood's really pumping with emotion. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he said it wasn't supposed to end like this. It wasn't supposed to end here. I, of course, imagine him saying that while, you know, punching a brick wall. Yeah. Um, and then there's a, a, another good quote from uh, Michael Schoenfield in ESPN. Um, there was a, a short little uh, expose, if you will, on the best teams that uh, never won championships. And uh, this was his his take on the Mariners. Uh, maybe Pinella pushed too hard. Maybe the team was gassed from the record drive. Maybe the pressure to match their regular season was too great. Or maybe the playoffs are just a crapshoot. The Mariners, of course, aren't regarded as one of the greatest teams of all time. They're not mentioned in the same breath as the 98 Yankees or the 86 Mets or the 75 Reds. They didn't win the World Series. They didn't even reach it. Yeah. And... Uh, I think that 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 sums it up is, uh, you know, he's also guessing, just like everyone else is who talks about this team. Maybe it was Pinella, maybe it was the pushing too hard for 117 wins, uh, maybe it was, uh, you know, the really lofty expectations set for the playoffs. Yeah, maybe it was the pressure of being the favorite. Yeah, which they had certainly never had to deal with before. And I think, I'm sure it's a combination of of all of them, but we we struggle when we analyze it to come up with something that we can point to to say, that feels like this was it. Mm -hmm. That this was the thing that um, made this series happen the way that it did. I I don't know if there's any one thing that we can can point to, which kind of makes it more frustrating. (laughs) Except for that fucking gypsy woman, yeah. Tyler. Yeah, I think she's going to be the, the end-all uh, answer to what, what happened here in a lot of these episodes. You look at how, like, the way that they played during the regular season and the way that they ended the season in the ALCS, and it's like two different teams. It's like, oh, yeah. It's like all of a sudden, the 100 lost teams got just transported into this team's body. And they were like, go play this Yankees team with the backing of the entire country, with Derek Jeter in his prime, Mariano Rivera in his prime, and having gone to three straight World Series and won three straight World yeah. Series. Go, go get them. We wish you the best of luck yeah. in the upcoming fiscal year. Yeah. I guess that's all we can say about the ALCS is I don't know what the hell happened. Um, but it, it's, it's one of the reasons why I think Mariners fans don't feel like we can enjoy 
success when it happens. Um, I know we talked about, uh, you know, this goes all the way back to episode one of when there is a winning streak, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. When they perform well, you're, you're, you're waiting for the losing streak. You're, you're waiting for the injury. You're waiting for something to happen because it feels like you just can't have nice things in one whole season. Yeah. And this, this 2001 team made us believe that it was possible and then reminded us, <laughs> no. No, it's not. <laughs> you fools. <laughs> Fell for it again. Well, uh, uh, Tyler, it's been, it's been great. I, uh, I miss talking to you, buddy. Yeah. It was nice. Let's do this again sometime. Okay. <laughs> Done. Only because only um, you asked. You can uh, you can find us on uh, Twitter again. I, I am still trying to figure out figure it out, but I understand that we are at least moderately interesting on Twitter. Um, let's what's not, our let's Twitter not handle? go over promising. <laughs> uh, so the first what's step for you to figure out Twitter would be to follow our own Twitter account at YOY Podcast. That feels like a lot of work. Step one. All right. So Y-O-Y po- at Y-O-Y at Podcast. At Y-O-Y Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, you can send yep. us an email at uh, Y-O-Y Podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Let us know if you've hit a bottom of the ninth two-run homer off of Kazuhiro Sasaki. Uh, if you've contracted tuberculosis in the last couple of years and want to correct us on how uh, frequent that uh, disease actually occurs. Um, if you uh, have cursed any member of the Mariners in the last couple of years, we want to hear from you. If you scored one of the 17 runs uh, uh, the Cleveland Indians scored uh, in the, in game three of the ALDS, uh, that was a little much. I don't want to hear from you. I just want you to know that that was kind of piling on. So uh, <laughs> poor sports. Poor sports, guys. And, of course, if you have any, uh, any other subjects that, that you want to hear about, um, I, don't, I don't want to say want to hear about. Want might, might be a strong word, but you feel uh, needs to be discussed on this podcast. Absolutely. We're always open to new ideas on how to really, really uh, kill our buzz. All right, sir. Well, uh, uh, for the both of us here at the uh, YOI podcast, uh, we'll say uh, good night and uh, happy watching of The Bachelorette, everybody. <laughs>